Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we just ask that you would speak to us, that you would help us to hear, that you'd give me the right words to say, that you would soften our hearts, uh, that we would be moved by your generosity, uh, that you would make us people who are so thankful for and faithful with everything that you have given us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, as we're reminded by Blake, uh, we're looking at our value series, looking at what God values, and today we're really looking at the whole idea uh, that God values us understanding that everything is from him. Uh, he values that we would have that understanding. And so if you're following your outline there, you'll see the main point is that we have to understand is that everything is from God. Everything we have is from God, so therefore five things we're going to look at. Everything is from God, so one... All you have is God's. All you have is God's. So let's think about that, uh, sort of places that he says, uh, things that affect that. James 1, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above. Oh, Acts 17, from one man he, God, made every nationality to live over the whole earth and he has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Run 1 Chronicles 29, but who am I and who are we and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. All of that giving us a little feel in for what God's saying. But what he's saying is that God has given you every single thing you have. Your life, your nationality, your time in history, your place in history, where you are, where you've moved to, your opportunities, every single thing you have is from God. It's all a gift from him, but it's not a gift from him for us to just spend on ourselves or just to use for ourselves. Everything he has given for us is for a purpose uh, that he has for us in this world. All of it is to be used for God, thinking about him and in this world and what he has given us. Um, uh, and really everything that we ever give to God or use for God in our time and our talents and our treasures is really just giving back to him what he gave to us in the first place. Uh, that is how we're to see it. It's using what he has given us. Now, I'm a bit of a thick head and it takes me a long while to learn these sort of things. And I like to blame my parents because you can blame them for most things. But I'm pretty sure that my parents taught me to share too early. They didn't let me own stuff first before they told me to share. So I really find it hard to, and I've found it hard over my life. I'm getting old now. I've been practicing for a while. But I've found it fairly hard to share because I always want to own it. I like to say it's mine. Sue has been teaching me, my wife, no, it's ours. And then I say, no, it's mine. She says, it's God's. I go, it's mine. She says, it's ours. And I say, it's mine. She says, it's God's. And we go around in circles, and unfortunately, she is right and I am wrong. And because I want to own it first before I lend it. Let me give you an example uh, of what this is like for me. So uh, 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 I bought a trailer. I don't know if you know about trailers, uh, you know, in the uh, early 80s, I would be borrowing a lot of trailers for youth ministry, did a lot of camps. That was the main way I uh, liked to do things, went away all the time, taking people away. And I would borrow people's old, rusty, bomby, run-down, people-abused trailers. I think there should be a prevention against abuse trailers. Rusted, you didn't... I never trusted whether I wasn't going to get down the road and everyone's luggage and all the food and everything we had and it didn't fall out down the road. They were so rusted. And so when it came to me buying a trailer... I bought a Gal one. 
And I just didn't buy any Gal 1. I bought a double-sided Gal 1 because I knew that I'd abuse a trailer like everyone else and I wanted a good trailer. Everyone didn't have good trailers like they have now, but back then they didn't. And I bought this good trailer because I was going to use it for youth ministry and it was going to be safe. He could carry everything. It would be really good and it wasn't going to rust out. Well, I can still remember the first time someone came up to me and said, can I borrow your trailer? Where are you going? What are you going to do with it? It's my trailer. Like I've galmetted everything. It's beautiful. I've looked after it. I make sure everything's tight, the wheels. I, even, I didn't put retreads on it. I put real tyres on it. It's fancy, a good trail. Okay. <laughs> because everything I have, like everything you have, is from God. It's God's trailer, not my trailer. I have to manage it. I have to look after it. But everything I have is from God. What God gives to us, we are to use for him in his service. I'm not saying you lend everything to everyone or borrow, let everyone borrow everything. But what we have is to be used in his service because it's a gift from him. Everything is from him. Um, and I think, I think back over the years, I've had that trailer, I don't know, it must be 25, 30 years now. And I often think, when I was in this talk, well, I didn't often, I just thought about it. I thought, I wonder how many camps that trailer has been on. I wonder how many talks it's heard about the Lord Jesus. Uh, I wonder how many times it's been there while some kid gave their life to the Lord or some teenager gave their uh, life to the Lord Jesus. It's gone on so many camps. Anyone doing Christian stuff, you've got it. Even people who aren't doing Christian stuff, but mainly people who do Christian stuff. And so, you know, everything you have is from God's. Everything I've had from God's. And it's taken me a while to learn it's not mine, it's his to be used for his glory. Um, most of you know that Sue and I have a fairly open home. Uh, I have a few memories about giving you a feel for this. I remember once when I was a youth minister that Sue counted up that we had given out 70 cups of tea or coffee, hot chocolate, in a week. That was our normal standard practice. And so our home was fairly open. And, uh, uh, and in our weeks now, even in our rotation of what we do, we can have up to 40 people over eating meals at our place in a week even now. I don't know if you think about that. It's not so bad for a guy, but it's particularly bad for a girl who will be house proud. Do you realise how much extra money that sort of costs to have that going around the place? Do you realise how much dirtier the house gets? Do you wonder what it's like? You know, kids' church goes over to our church every, over to our house every week, you know, and they sort of look after it, I think. They're sitting there in the front row. Right. You know, but you're going, it's a little bit messier. You know, it's just everything gets wear and tear. You know, it's, it's, but what I've been amazed by opening a home, uh, you've got to watch yourself. You know, I'm very hard to find on a Monday and I don't answer the phone that much on a Monday. You've got to look after yourselves and I'm hard to find after 8.30. You've got to look after yourselves, but, but you've got to realise everything that you have, and I've had to realise everything that we have is not for just us, it is for God to be used in his service. And one of the things that surprised me as I've become less and less stingy um, with my stuff and more and more uh, happy to let people borrow my stuff is that how much joy uh, actually comes our way from letting people use it and by being used by God over all those years. And so uh, this first thought that we've got to get into our heads is that every single thing you have is from God and one, it is therefore God's. Everything you have is God's. And one day, he'll ask you for an account for what you have done with what he's giving you, including your life, your time, your talents, 
and your treasures. And so uh, the first thing is, you know, we've got to understand that everything you have is from God. You'll never understand everything else in his talk if you don't get it. You'll never understand how to live. We'll never get how it is we're supposed to understand things till we understand that everything we have given, uh, have been given is from God to be used for his glory. Two, as Blake's already hinted at, um, uh, what we are to do is to look at Jesus and imitate him. Look at Jesus and imitate him. And so a verse most of you know off by heart, for God so loved the world that he gave. I know it's a silly thing to say, but that's, that's actually a true and a good summary, really, of what God is like. God is a giving God. He's given us everything. Uh, he has particularly given us his son and all that he has done. Ephesians 1 tells us this, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens. Every. He's not stingy. He's given us everything we need uh, to be spiritually connected and to grow spiritually with him. 1 Corinthians 11 says, uh, Paul says, Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. And so it's a call in Scripture, a command in Scripture, that we are to imitate Christ. Uh, he's the only one who can die for us on the cross. But we are to imitate his giving, his serving, his caring, his on about others. Um, and the ultimate way that God shows his giving nature is in giving us Christ, his perfect son who came and went uh, to this world to die and suffer and to rise again for our salvation so that we might be saved. I don't know if you get like me. Uh, but I start to go, yeah, Jesus died for me. Oh, yeah, Jesus died for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, Jesus died for me. But as you sort of head up to Easter, sometimes if you're doing those things on your phone, you know, they'll have a, you know, a Lent series. I've been doing that, and this one I've been doing has been really good because it's made me slow down and think about what Jesus went through. It's actually absolutely just hit me this time again just how unbelievably persecuted and ill-treated Jesus was as the innocent one who had done nothing wrong the way he was treated what he let them do to him when he could have stopped it at any time is is amazing just like yeah I just I just just hit me again but what hit me even more is um I love my kids believe it or not I do love them and uh I think the whole idea that God gave his son just that could I give a son to die for people who didn't even like him, to be treated and abused, or would that be a hard call? And yet the father gave his son. Now, God, God, you know, he's using the words father and son, you know, as metaphors to help us understand that he's like a father, relate to him like a perfect father, and Jesus is like a son, relate to him like a son, but a Lord. Uh, but also the whole idea that how does the Father in the triune God of three persons in one God, how does the Father think about the Son? Well, he absolutely loves him. So what was the cost in letting people do that to his Son so you and I can go to heaven? You see, it's an unbelievably giving thing that I, I just... It's hard to imagine that someone would do that, but that's what he has done for us. And so what's the point of this one? When I'm feeling stingy, when I'm feeling selfish with my time, talents and treasures, when I'm going, it's all mine, I look to Jesus again 
and I reflect on how God wasn't stingy and was absolutely amazing in what he gave for us and how willing Jesus was. And it softens our hearts and it softens my heart to realise that I am to imitate Jesus who was so willing to give for the good of others that he would even give his life and that the Father would give his Son, which is so just incredibly different to you and I. And yet that is what we are to imitate. I do want to focus us too, though God cares about everyone in lots of different conditions, I want us to be really clear that in the Bible, the focus is, is really on our salvation and growing more like Christ. You know, being nice to someone is a good thing and we should do it. We should love our neighbour. But what's very, very important is that it's, it, the whole focus of what God's doing is so that people will be in heaven. The whole aim of everything he was doing was so that people could be saved. The whole reason of that abuse was so that people could not get what they deserve but get forgiven and be brought into a relationship with God forever. And so we've got to realise that, that in our giving of time, talents and treasures, God's not just saying give it generally out. He wants to have a specific focus in it of, of it in helping people with the gospel so that they will be saved. Like, uh, we are to care. Uh, so Sue and I, when we think about our giving, we particularly think of organisations that will not only feed the poor and clothe those who need clothing, but who will also give them the gospel. Because what good is it if they, you know, have enough to eat and then they go to hell? It's that I want them to be fed and I want them to hear about Jesus so they've got an opportunity to repent and believe and put their trust in him. And so as we think about that, we want to be people who remember God is on about people's salvation, every spiritual gift, not just generally. So I'm going to pick on someone. I hope I'm not picking on anyone here to get the idea. Not picking on them. Like if you give to the guide dogs, it's a great thing. Guide dogs are fantastic, really needed, really important. I think they were started by Christians, the actual organisation. Uh, but when you give money to the guide dogs, you've got to realise that's not giving to God. And it's not what he's talking about when he's talking about being generous and thinking about people being saved. It's thinking about the gospel. And so keep that in your heads as you're going. And so 1 Corinthians 10, Paul will put it this way. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, so that they may be saved. You see, the driving thing of all we do, though everything is good, lots of good things to do, the driving thing of God's people is so that they may be saved. That's where we're thinking, where we're putting our time, our energies, our resources. And so uh, all we have is from God, and so all we have is God's. Uh, look to Jesus, imitate him. He gave, he gave everything, every spiritual blessing. And so what do we do and how do we do that and what should we do? Three... Put him first and not last. Put him first and not last. And uh, so Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, So don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear, for idolaters eagerly seek these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of, his, of its own. Now, what's Jesus saying? What he's saying is, worry doesn't change anything, boys and girls. That's what he's saying. Worry does not affect anything. 
God is in control of everything. Don't worry. Know that God is in control of everything and he is particularly caring for his children. So how do I trust him? How, he knows everything I need. How do I trust him? Jesus says, put him first in all you do. Seek first his righteousness. Put him first. Seek his righteousness first before anything else. Trust him to look after you by putting him first with your things. If we use the Old Testament as an example here, how did God teach that in the Old Testament people? What he did was he commanded the tithe. The tithe was 10%. 10% of their crops. 10% of anything they got. They were to give that to God first. The first fruits. Put that first. And that taught them that they were to trust God. They were to stop working one in seven, even in harvest. And it was a whole idea of you can trust me. Put me first and I will look after you. That's the sort of principle that he had put out there. I think probably one of the best ways of understanding this for us, in the New Testament, of course, tithe changes to generosity, which will never be less, uh, but it's that attitude. Um, I, I like the, energy, the analogy of this to help you get it. If you imagine that everything God gives you is like a juicy red apple. God gives you an apple and he gives it to you and he's looking at you to see what you're going to do with it. Let me tell you what you don't do. You don't go... Here, do you want the core? You don't give him the leftover. You don't... Of your time, your talents and your treasures. What do you do when you get an apple? What you should do with an apple. And you've only got one and there's people around you. Let's put it that way. What do you do? You cut a good slice off to the person who gave it to you. God first. He gave you everything you have. Give him the slice. Then have a munch yourself. Then there's other people around you. Give them a bit. Share with others. That's how you use the apple that God has given you. Him first. You and share. And that's how it also is the way that it is to work. Now, learning to be generous, to give away that bit, to share that bit, takes a fair bit. Uh, Sue and I uh, have taken a long time to learn that. Uh, I think we started off in a reasonably good place. When we got married, well, we both understood that everything we had was from God. I think we didn't fight about that. Uh, we both knew we had to be active in church. We didn't have to fight about that. We put church first before sport and all that sort of stuff. We learnt that very early and we knew we had to support church and we did that. Uh, but when we went to college twice, because I'm a very, very slow learner, and as we went to college, I, we just noticed that when we came out the second time, uh, you know, because when you were at college that time, you know, you wouldn't have enough money, maybe not knowing if you had enough money to pay the rent that week, or you didn't have enough money for food, and so you're often praying, much more dependent, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, what we gave uh, to God and his work was a lot smaller uh, than it had ever been, that sort of stuff. And we realised that when we came out and we started getting money again and we looked and looked at our resources, we worked out that we were only giving a few percent. And we were both fairly shocked because we were committed to it, but we never looked at it. So we've decided since then that every couple of years we actually review again what we've got and what we're doing. Uh, we've always decided that 10% is the, the way that we use as a guide to think about what we're doing and then generosity over that. And so uh, we started thinking about it. I remember at one stage, I can remember we worked it out and it was 9% that we were giving of our wage plus other giving. 
Uh, but now I'm going to tell you what we give. I think you should not tell this to one another, but I want to use it as an example. Uh, that is now we put $200 on the plate each week, direct deposit. Uh, we support a few missionary organisations. Uh, we support some other organisations as well, mission missionaries and some organisations with direct deposits. We sponsor a few children and then we give to causes as they come along and touch our hearts. Um, we, we evaluate that every couple of years uh, to see how we're going and we're hoping to keep increasing it as um, uh, we are able. Learning to be gen generous is a journey. It doesn't matter where you are, start. God doesn't care about your money, your time, your talents or how much. He just wants you to use them for him to understand it's all from him. And start wherever you are, whether you get a dollar or a million dollars. Uh, all of this is, is a way of thinking about God's given us everything we have. Therefore, all of it is God's. Therefore, look to Jesus and imitate him. He is a giver. Uh, three, how do I do that? Put him first, not last. Give him the first slider to the apple, not the last. And four, as, Jesus, as Blake hinted at, watch your heart. Watch your heart. So Matthew 6, Jesus goes on from where he was before about uh, what he was talking about earlier on with put, putting him first, seek first the kingdom of God. And now he talks about what, Jesus, what Blake read out uh, about treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 19. Don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can be a slave of two masters since he will either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Um, uh, what is God saying there? Do you, do you remember what the first and greatest commandment is from God? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. What does God want from us when he saves us? What's he looking for? He's looking for our love. And what he wants us to know is that in our love for him, there's something that's trying to steal our love and trying to get our love and our dependence and our trust, and that's money. And so here he's saying, watch your heart because there's someone who's trying to steal it from me. And the Bible will go on to say that there are some people who have shipwrecked their faith because of their love for money. It's not just a joke. He's warning us that money, love of money, putting money before God can actually steal our heart away from him. It's a big warning and a scary one. But you've got to understand that what God's saying is, I want your heart and I want your love. Love me first. I want your caring about me. Everything I've given is yours. Imitate Christ. Be a giver. Put me first. Watch your heart. And the way you watch your heart and protect yourself from greed is that you give, is that you are generous with your time, your talents and your treasure. That's how you protect it. Hold on and it could kill you. Uh, what is uh, treasures in heaven? Just in case you're interested in how do you put treasure in heaven? Treasure in heaven is using all that you have to help people with Jesus. Treasures in heaven is people. We can't see it. We don't know what happens with our time and our talents, our treasures. Even talks. You walk out and I don't know, did anyone listen? Did anyone, do you know, did anything happen? Did anything change? You, you don't know, but God knows. 
whether you're listening or not, because he sees our hearts and he does it. And so treasures in heaven is influencing people. We want to influence people with the gospel, with our money. We want to influence people with the gospel, with our time. We want to influence people with our talents. And so when you put that all together, what you have is everything we have is from God. Therefore, all you have is God's. Look to Jesus and imitate him. Be a giver. Put him first, not last. That's how you start. Watch your heart. Be generous. And lastly, five, manage your gifts. Manage the gifts. Manage his gifts. And so the parable of the talents is one that nails and brings us back to the start that everything is God's. Uh, you might remember the story of the parable of talents. If you haven't heard that before, go read it after Matthew 25. And what it is, is a parable that Jesus tells about a, a, a master, an owner, a king, who gives three of his servants some talents, which was money, uh, to look after and use for him. One he gives five, one he gives two, one he gives one. Uh, and they are to use it, they are to, to produce with it. And uh, when the master comes back after a long, long time, uh, he wants accounts settled. The one who had five talents comes in and says, look, I've got five more for you. And the king says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my joy. Uh, the one who got given two, he comes in and says, look, I've got two more. He goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Come into my joy. Uh, the last one had one, he'd buried it. And he comes up and he said, here's your one talent back. I buried it. And what the master says is, you evil and wicked servant, and he throws him into hell. It's a, it's a scary parable. That's why I didn't make it the reading today. Uh, it's a scary one, but it's a real one in the Bible. What's it saying? God has given us everything, and he is going to hold us account for everything that he's given us for what we've done with it for him. We can't make it do things. He's the one who does it, but he's going to hold us accountable. And there's only one thing he can do wrong. Bury it. Don't do anything. That's the only thing you can do wrong. God's the one who does. He's not saying do this and you'll be saved. It's not suddenly we're changing the whole thing. What God's saying is he will, the evidence that you are his will be that you are responsibly using the things that he has given to you, generously using them. And uh, so, yeah, that's that. Um, uh, I, I read something very scary this week. Most of you won't think this is scary, but you might think it's more exciting than scary, but it's scary. Uh, that is, or you might think it's not true. Uh, that is, uh, I read in preparing this week that Australians are now the richest people in the world. Not everyone in Australia lives in the lap of luxury, but Australians do come out pretty well compared to the rest of the world, no matter what the measure is. Did you hear that? It may not feel like it to some. You might be just being started and you hope that your parents will give you more money or the boss or you'll get a job. But the economy of Australia is a, a large mixed market economy with a GDP of 1.69 trillion. Doesn't mean much to people, but let me put it this way. In 2018, Australia overtook Switzerland and became the country with the largest median wealth per adult. We are the richest people in the world. Why is that scary? What does God expect from the richest people in the world? 
He expects us to be generous. He's expecting to use it. He's expecting us to be generous people. Um, let me finish with this. You might recognise it or understand it or you'll, you'll, you'll line up with it if you haven't heard it. Imagine you're in a car and you take a child, if you have a child, one of your kids, and you take them to McDonald's and you go through the drive through and you buy yourself a coffee and you buy them a large chips, a large... Right. And they're sitting there, they happen to sit next to you because it's the days when you didn't care about that. And they're sitting next to you and uh, you reach across and you take a chip out of the large chips that you bought your child and what do they say? No, Daddy, they're my chips! <laughs> you keep your stinking... There's a few thoughts running through your mind when you're a parent, when their child does that. Hey, you little mongrel... Without you, you don't have no chips at all. I'm the one. Without me, you don't have any chips at all. I bought them for you, you little tightwad. I could have bought my own chips. I was just going to share with you and give the pleasure of sharing. I wanted to enjoy them with you. I didn't need your chips. I am trying to teach you that they're not yours. God has given you all your chips. He wants you to share. They're not just for you. They're God's to be shared with others. May you and I be generous because we know our generous God and that everything we have is from him.